Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption and infertility. We're a weekly radio show podcast, and to make sure that you automatically hear about each episode, you can subscribe to our show at either iTunes or on the radio page of our site, creatingafamily.org slash radio show. Today, we're going to be talking about adopting through an adoption attorney. I'm Dawn Davenport. I'm the director of Creating a Family. We're a nonprofit providing education and support for both adoption and infertility, and you can find us at creatingafamily.org. The Creating a Family radio show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. For many patients, cost can be a barrier to pursuing fertility treatment. That's why Faring is now offering a savings card for their endometrin vaginal inserts. This instant savings card offers up to $50 savings each month on your endometrin prescription for eligible patients. You can ask your doctor to get more details. We primarily keep in touch with our audience through our twice-weekly e-newsletters. We let you know about the latest developments in adoption or infertility, as well as the upcoming week's blog topic and show topic. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter, and we would love to have you sign up uh, on any page uh, of our website, top left creatingafamily.org. I blog on topics of interest to those involved with either adoption or infertility three times a week. And a recent blog that you might enjoy is one on resources to help explain adoption to the birth siblings of adopted children. These children, uh, the, the, the siblings, the birth siblings of adopted kids are often overlooked in the adoption community or the adoption, uh, we call it the adoption triad. In this case, it wouldn't necessarily, necessarily be a triad. Uh, and there are very few resources, and we've made an exhaustive look to try to find resources. We know that a lot of adoptive parents are interested in helping uh, their child's birth mother uh, with uh, the, the job of preparing um, their children uh, or discussing adoption with the children they've decided to parent. We'd love to have you uh, suggest any resources we may have missed or share your experience as well on the blog at creatingafamily.org slash blog. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support of our gold sponsors, including All Blessings International. They're an adoption agency with offices in Missouri and Kentucky and work with families throughout the U.S., placing children from Congo, Haiti, Hong Kong, Latvia, Taiwan, and El Salvador. They also have a domestic infant program. We also have independent adoption centers, Center, whose mission is to provide open adoption placement and counseling to birth and adoptive families. They work with families in all 50 states and are fully licensed in California, New York, Florida, Texas, and more. You can visit them by going to or either any of our gold sponsors, and we have others that I'll tell you about later, by clicking on their logo on the right-hand side of our page. Today's show is going to be on adopting a baby through an adoption lawyer. Adoptive parents in the U.S. have a choice when adopting, of working with an adoption agency or an adoption attorney. What's the difference and how to find a good adoption attorney? Our guests are four of the leading adoption attorneys in the U.S. and are all members of the American Academy of Adoption Attorneys, known affectionately and even unaffectionately, I suppose, as Quad A. We have Colleen Quinn. She runs the Adoption and Surrogacy Law Center out of Richmond, Virginia, and serves on the Quad A Board of Trustees. We have Steve Kirsch. He is an adoption attorney in Indiana and a past president of Quad A. Jim Thompson is an adoption attorney in South Carolina and on the board of Quad A. And Michael Goldstein is an adoption attorney in New York and a former board member of Quad A. And he is the official photographer at the Quad A conferences. So I am going to guess that he, he everybody has to be nice to him or they're going to get really ugly photos. Right, Michael? That's correct. They actually, <laughs> we actually charge more. Instead of a print, we charge more if someone wants their photo deleted. <laughs> oh, good. I'll keep that in mind. All right. Welcome, Jim, Michael, Steve, and Colleen to Creating a Family. We are so glad to have you here with, with us today. 
let me jump in and start with a, a, a rather broad question. Uh, and Colleen, I'm going to direct this one to you with four people on the panel. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a blessing because we then have all this great information coming, but a bit of a challenge as far as, as being the um, air traffic controller here. Um, the, uh, what is, just in general, uh, we actually had two questions that are uh, from our audience that were hinting around at this, um, and since they were quite long, I just I summarized it by saying, what is the adoption process when you use an adoption attorney? Uh, and it might help to almost well, just if you need to contrast it to an, using an adoption agency, you can. Um, the but, but the questions we're getting at kind of what's the process? I mean, how does it work? Uh, well, John, the, the first thing is that an attorney can give an objective overview of the entire adoption process and give clients a framework within which to work so that they can know what their adoption options are. Um, if, you go, if a client goes on the Internet, it's just immensely confusing. Um, you find all these different adoption entities. You don't know, are they an agency? Are they a facilitator? Are they an attorney? Are they an advertising site? So the attorney, by giving an overall framework, within which people can work um, will help guide the clients in terms of determining do they want to do an agency adoption or do they want to do an adoption through an attorney, which is typically called an independent or private or personal placement. Um, and then the attorney can help facilitate with that private placement uh, with the client. Um, Okay, and, and I've got a question on uh, private placement or, or personal placement. We've got a question on that, so I'm going to hold off from that. Jim, any thoughts uh, other than the giving the uh, when you go to an adoption attorney, getting a general overview of all of your options? What are some of the other? Uh, what, how else, the, if if a person decides to go forward with using an adoption attorney, how does the process proceed at that point? I think, uh, Dawn, one of the first issues is if you live in a state or if you're working in a state where the attorney can match a prospective um, birth mom with an adoptive family. If you are in one of those states, then the options that that, that attorney has in working with the adoptive family is broader than it would be otherwise. Some states do not allow matching, per se. So if you're in a state that doesn't allow a match, perhaps the attorney would be helping with what we would, what I would term an identified adoption. That's a situation where the adopting parents have identified a, a birth mom who is cons an expectant mother who is, who is considering placing her child for adoption. And then you take that situation to the lawyer to help to make sure that everything is handled safely and legally. So what I've just described there is two very different scenarios. One where um, prospective adopting parents go to a lawyer from the very beginning and say, you know, help me um, navigate this all the way through to find a, an expectant mother through the adoption, through the finalization. Or in the identified adoption, you may be bringing the situation you've already identified to the attorney. So those would look very different, but the attorney would be able to be there to help um, advise regardless of that situation. Don, this is uh, Steve Kirsch. Let me, uh, let me add something to what Jim is saying. And, and the other very important question to ask uh, is, can an attorney even be involved in facilitating, facilitating an adoption in, in your state? There are some states uh, that require all adoptions to be handled through adoption agencies. So you need to contact an attorney in the state in which you are located in the, the Quad A website, which is uh, adoptionattorneys.org. Adoptionattorneys.org has a member directory of attorneys in almost every state. The first step would be to contact an attorney in your state and find out what are your options. Is it possible for an attorney to do what Jim is saying, or do you have to work with an adoption agency and then just have an attorney um, uh, oversee that process to make sure that all the legal steps are done correctly? And when you work with an adoption agency in a state uh, that uh, – well, in any state, I suppose – when you work with an adoption agency, don't they usually have a relationship with a specific attorney um, so that you don't end up having to hire 
necessarily a separate attorney unless you choose to. And Steve, since you were the one who raised it, let me ask that question directly to you. You know what, I'm probably not the best person to ask because we're not one of those states. Indiana uh, does not require the use of an adoption agency to handle an adoption, but I, I suspect that the answer is most agencies have attorneys to whom they refer and, and with whom they're, or in whom they're confident. Okay. Dawn, so this is ahead. Michael. If I can just add to what Steve was saying, mm-hmm. that even in the states where an agency is required, for example, my office is on the border of Connecticut, so we do work with a lot of Connecticut families. Hey, um, what goes on is the agency probably has an attorney, but gets confusing as to where you're going to finalize the adoption. You may not need the attorney in, for example, in Connecticut, you, you may not finalize there. You may finalize in a state like, for example, Steve's state of Indiana. Um, so it depends where you're going to hire the attorney. But Steve's right. I mean, you should contact the attorney first to see what the options are. Okay. Don, this is Colleen. I would just like to add one more thing about um, agency adoptions. When a family hires an agency, um, they oftentimes think the agency is acting on their behalf, but the reality is is that the agency typically has its own attorney, and so oftentimes the family needs their own attorney to look out for them in terms of signing all of the agency paperwork, making sure things are done properly, making sure they're, they're, um, it's a fair arrangement, and then oftentimes, as, as Michael mentioned, um, their attorney uh, might finalize the adoption. Um, depending on the state, sometimes the agency attorney will finalize the adoption for them. Okay. Um, Dawn, this is Jim. That, that's a really important point that Colleen is is bringing up. The whole issue about representation and lines of um, responsibility, if you will, um, accountability, is one of the issues that I think is confusing to a lot of prospective adopting parents when they go to an attorney or to an adoption agency. An adoption agency, you should look at their mission statement. Um, many of them are faith-based. Um, some of them are, are are ministries to birth parents and to adopting parents. Some adoption agencies that are not faith-based, you can still look at their mission statement to see you know, who is it that they are representing. And Rarely would you find them representing just one of the members of the adoption triad. They are attempting to help to bring together uh, into a successful adoption and to serve the interests of many. Um, I think that's one of the clearer reasons why some people who choose an adoption attorney for their placement, because we are an adoption attorney, but we're an attorney first, and the the duties of professional conduct and representation, um, the fiduciary duty of zealous advocacy for our clients supersede no matter whether you are doing a real estate closing or handling a bankruptcy or doing an adoption. You can only have one client. And so it's much clearer, um, I think, for some prospective adopting parents to know when they have representation of a lawyer that they're representing them only. That gets a little confusing sometimes with some adoption agencies if they only have a short list of people that they refer to because you want to make sure that that lawyer is not beholding to that referral interest but to that to that represent the person they're representing. So I think it's always good to to flesh that out from the beginning uh, who who represents who. And who the attorney that the agency is suggesting who that attorney represents actually. Yeah, I think a lot of people do a good job of calling someone up, asking them the number of adoptions that they do. You know, just because the, a, an agency may refer, um, it's always good to make sure that you're you feel comfortable with that person and that you've done some of your own due diligence before you hire a lawyer. Well, okay. and let me just uh, uh, go ahead, Steve. Don, this is Steve Kirsch. Let me let me add something to uh, what what Jim and, and Colling have said that. And Jim was was alluding to this. Not all adoption attorneys are created equal. Um, I I can tell you because I've done this. I've practiced adoption law for 30 years. I can tell you a lot about adoption, but if you ask me any other legal question, I'm really not going to be very good at it. Um, just because an attorney uh, has handled a step parent adoption or has attorney on their yellow page ad doesn't make them a competent practitioner. 
So you, you do have to do some, 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 some due diligence in finding a, a competent, reputable attorney. And, and, and I don't I hate to sound like a cheerleader for the, the Quad A, but again, if you go back to the Quad A website, adoptionattorneys.org, you'll find an attorney in your state who has, has passed certain minimum requirements that it takes to get into Quad A, and that would be a good place to start in finding someone who can assist you through this journey. Well, Steve, that's a great segue. We have at creating a family, and then the next, to the next topic I want to talk about, which is how do you find an adoption attorney? Um, on the just for our audience, most of them will probably know this. However, um, on the creating a family website, we have extensive resources uh, for how to find an adoption attorney, and, and we include the links to Quad A, which has been uh, mentioned. So you can go there if you didn't get the uh, link that Steve was giving and uh, click on that link, and I think we actually have a sublink that takes you exactly to the map, taking you, clicking on that will take you directly to the map. But I do want to talk about uh, how to find an adoption attorney, and, and one of the questions we received from Rob was, what is the distinction between an adoption attorney and a family law attorney? It seems to me that they overlap. Michael, what's the what is the distinction between a family law attorney and an adoption attorney, and is there an overlap? Well, it's what uh, Steve Kirsch alluded to. Okay, there are many many attorneys that are family law attorneys. Family law attorneys can do divorces. Will, you know, they do anything for a family, wills. Um, they can do custody cases, things like that. Okay, when it comes to adoption, though, there is a specific area in every state law that deals with adoptions, and all of us on the phone, as you've alluded to, are uh, we've been doing this for many years. Okay, we're members of the American Academy of Adoption Attorneys. Okay, and it's a very specific area. So, if somebody like Steve has mentioned has adoption as one of the things listed. Uh, on their yellow page ad, they may have handled a family step-parent adoption, which is simply the uh, filing of some papers in the local court, and it gets done without any interstate involvement or anything like that, where what we do as adoption attorneys specifically, okay, and that's why we're, uh, again, like Steve said, you ask us about uh, contract law, and it's something I'm going to have to give a referral for. But the idea is to go into a little your first question that we had just gone over a little. I think we got a little off topic about agency necessarily, but the process with the adoption attorney is going to be when I sort of start with it's like four stages is where you're going to get you have to go through an approval. Okay, then you're going to go through what we call finding. And what we haven't mentioned, most adoptions, when we're adopting privately through an attorney, most adoptions are not like foster care adoptions. Most adoptions are adopting adoption of an infant, a baby. And then you go through, once you're matched in, again, we'll talk about matching later, I assume. Okay, once you're matched with a birth mother and she chooses you, there's some back and forth and sort of finding information out about the birth mother. And then... There's that last process where, going back to now this question of family law, it's the filing of papers that will finalize the adoption. There are many family law attorneys that could probably handle that if they're coached through all the other complications and the procedures by someone like the four of us. Don, Steve Kirshian, let me let me make it. Maybe this analogy will make it clear for your listeners. If if you have, God forbid, have cancer, you could go to your your internist, and your internist could probably provide you some some good ideas about how to treat your cancer. But if certainly if I have cancer, I'm, I'm going to go to an oncologist. I'm going to go to a specialist who only deals with that illness. And, and I would say the same is true about adoption. The, the, the risks for doing something incorrectly in adoption and, and the thing that keeps probably a lot of people, a lot of adoptive parents up at night and, and maybe even scares some people from adopting altogether is the risk that someone's going to take their baby away. And I would submit to you that an attorney who practices only in the area of adoption or who concentrates their practice in the area of adoption is going to have a better chance of protecting the adoptive parents' rights and, and the birth parents' rights than a, a casual practitioner. John, this is Colleen. I'll just jump in there. Um, in addition to what Steve's saying about making sure you go to an experienced person, 
The difference between a family law attorney and an adoption attorney um, is, is I use a very uh, simple um, explanation. Um, an adoption attorney is a subset of family law, typically. Um, the attorneys in my firm do family law, but what I tell people is they do the yucky stuff and I do the happy stuff um, because they're doing divorce and the custody and the child support and the equitable distribution, um, which which I don't find nearly as um, as uh, appealing and as happy as doing the, the adoption and, and surrogacy or family formation side of the practice. So um, I find that's a really simple way, um, the, the yucky versus the happy um, distinction, <laughs> family law lawyers. And that is a legal term, by the way, yucky, yes. Just go to any uh, black <laughs> law dictionary and... And go to the wise and you'll find it. Colleen, what are some of the and – and for the rest of you, I'm going to go around so, so you guys be thinking as well. Colleen, you, you drew the short straw, so you have little time to think here. What questions should people ask when they are uh, trying to hire an adoption attorney to make certain that they find one that they that's the best qualified to help them. Well, if he, um, and, yeah. and they're going to go to the Quad oh, A site. We've, yeah, and we've linked to that. So they're going to the Quad A site. And then they, uh, um, but after that, or for whatever reason, they're, if they're not there, um, they, we, we hope that they are. But if they're not, um, or even if they are, what questions should they ask? Somebody had mentioned at the beginning, how many adoptions do you do a year? That was one question. Um, and, and if so, what, what would be an answer that, what type of number are you looking for? I mean, adoptions are not that don't happen daily necessarily. You're typically looking for somebody that's done dozens of adoptions each year. Um, some of us do more than others. Some of us, you know, have done thousands of adoptions. Um, but you want somebody that is regularly handling adoptions um, at least several a month. Um, you also want to ask uh, the attorney how long have they been in practice and have they handled interstate adoptions, especially if it's an interstate uh, placement because interstate adoptions can can um, invoke a lot um, more um, complex issues, including choice of law issues. So um, those are some of the basic questions to ask. Of course, if you're going with a Quad A attorney, um, they already have had to have met those threshold factors. The other thing is um, it, it depends on what the family is going to the attorney for. Um, if they are looking to an attorney to actually help match them, then they need to know if the attorney office offers those services. As Jim indicated before, it, that can be very state-dependent, but even within the state, like Virginia, um, I happen to match. I can't charge a fee for it, um, but it's part of one of the services I offer. There are other attorneys in Virginia, though, that don't match. So um, if that's important to a family, they need to ask that question as well. Okay, specifically, is that service is that service offered? Okay, Jim, can you think of any additional questions if somebody is going to be hiring an adoption attorney that they should uh, that that someone should ask? Sure, I think some adopting parents think it's rude or somehow not appropriate to really drill down with the attorney about his or her practice, and that couldn't be the furthest from the truth. An attorney who is successful and has a good, thriving adoption practice likes to talk about it. <laughs> so it's just okay to say, you know, how many um, matches do you make in a year? You know, what is the average wait time? What's the shortest time? What's the longest time? Have you had any kind of disruptions? These are the kind of questions that Michael and I, who are approved under the Hague Convention for um, international adoption, the Hague actually requires for those kind of questions to be on our website for anybody who wants to see uh, to answer those kind of questions. And, and truly, that would be a, a good practice in the domestic adoption to have, a, to have that kind of transparency. So if anybody is, taking, is taken aback, any attorney you talk to about the number of adoptions or the kind of, uh, of wait time or the number of other clients that are, if you will, in the queue, um, that would be a that, that would be a concern for me, and and asking those questions, whether it be by email or directly in an initial consultation, I think that's perfectly fine. Um, the, the other thing that <clears throat> Colleen mentioned is the type of case you have. There are a lot of lawyers who do a lot of adoptions, but only do a certain kind of adoption. So, for instance, 
if you have an interest of adopting a child that is in foster care and you're anticipating perhaps a contested case for termination of parental rights with a birth family, that's that's a litigation adoption, contested adoption. That's different. So some adoption attorneys don't like contested cases. Some of us are, are comfortable regardless. So you should ask those kind of questions as well, the number of cases, the number of, inter, of interstate cases, the number of contested cases. Um, and um, I think the more you ask, and if you have more than one conversation with more than one lawyer, you'll, you'll probably, or down south we would call it, you, you, get, you, you would jihaw with somebody. <laughs> Got it. Another legal term listed right, I guess under G, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming at this point. Michael, what about asking about cost? Um, well, that was that was one of the things I've been writing my little notes because you did give me a little time to think about this. The yeah, one yeah, thing you got to, lucky. Okay, yeah. Okay, one of those one of those was the, how does the attorney charge? Because it's very important. How much money up front for a retainer? Uh, what if the it's what we call an incomplete adoption? How do they charge for that? Some there are some attorneys who charge hourly with no cap. Um, there are some that have caps. There are some that have flat fees. That's again, like Jim said, you know, on our on our websites because of our international um, approvals. You know, we have all that is essentially listed. Okay, with all estimated expenses, also they should be asking, you know, what's what is this? Not just you, Michael, but you know, what else? What else am I going to get charged for? Am I going to get charged for? The attorney in the other state. Uh, what you know? What is your usual um, birth mother living expenses that may get paid out for the birth mother? So it's not just the lawyer's uh, charges, but it, you know what is this going to cost me? And and how do you, like we've said, as lawyers, we're protecting the client. You know, how do we protect your rights? Well, when we represent the birth mother, how do we advocate for her rights? So that's definitely one is cost. The other one I was going to mention, and I think we'd all agree, is this is, uh, to use Steve's analogy, it's like working with your best doctor. Okay, You have to sort of love this person that you're going to work with. You're going to be working with the private adoption attorney on probably the most important thing you're going to be doing in your life, Okay, and that's expanding your family and having a child. And you need to really find out what your relationship with this person is going to be. It has to be, um, Jim used the word transparent. Okay, It has to be open. I use the word warm. One of the other things that we do talk to people about, and as they're choosing, we have an incredible staff behind us. So, you know, I know actually all three of the paralegals of my other colleagues on the phone. They're wonderful because there are times that I'm not available and you're going to, you know, they're going to be working with my my legal assistants. So that's another, you know, what's the office like? You know, who are the people in the office? That that's you know what is your coverage on weekends because babies are born all the time, so that, those are some other issues and questions that I thought of. Yeah, weekend coverage is a good point because you're right. Um, the uh, they would come. Children do not tend to be born in convenient times. No, kids don't get ear infections other than on Friday afternoon, late or Saturday morning, and they, <laughs> babies tend to be born on uh, late at night and on the weekend. Um, Steve, no, Don, any, they're always born when you're on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> no, I pretty much never went on vacation pregnant, so that's enough. I took care of that. I solved that. For we attorneys are always born when we're on vacation. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yes, well, um, good point. Uh, Steve, uh, anything else that you would ask, we suggest that uh, people ask of uh, potential adoption lawyers that they are considering hiring? No, I, I think I think the folks have, have covered it well. I, uh, just to... to uh, supplement the last comment that Michael made is is not just weekend coverage but but um, daily cover what coverage what's your availability I mean it's a fair question to for a, a prospective adoptive parent to ask their lawyer or the lawyer they're thinking about hiring is if I call you or I email you how long would it should I expect to wait before I got a reply uh, that's a great I, I suggest that uh, for all people to ask when uh, hiring an attorney or hiring an agency, either one, 
and that is what is your policy on returning phone calls and emails? And it's fair not to say, you know, that we'll do it within 20 minutes. That's an unreasonable request from the client. But it's also good to know if the attorney has a basic policy or the agency or whomever um, for replying to emails and phone calls. Well, Don, I tell my I tell the client the families who hire hire me that if I don't respond to an email within 12 to 24 hours, I either didn't get it or I'm dead. So in case uh. it's the former, try me again. <laughs> if it's God the latter, you know, send condolences. Yeah. Stop a bit, Steve. And there's one of the reasons, by the way, Dawn. For this is Michael again. That you know, I don't go on cruises. Okay, you know, because to me, I'm I can't get off the boat when I'm needed. So. Oh, I guess that's true. Yeah, I hadn't really. Oh, okay. Well, that's a too bad for you. Actually, I've never been on one, so how would I know? Um, <laughs> all right, uh, we have a question from Suzette. She says, "I understand about if I find the expectant woman, but what if I don't? Who finds the expectant woman who wants to place a child?" Um, now we've alluded to. I think the first thing is to get some of our nomenclature, our language straight here, because I've uh, we've mentioned a couple of different terms. Let's say we had mentioned a let's see, an identified adoption. and But, uh, Colleen, you also called it something different, a personal oh, – no, what did you call it? When, well, uh, Don, when, that's, that, that is one reason to come see a lawyer, because the terms can be exceedingly confusing. Um, an identified placement – and it depends on the state. An identified placement in Virginia can either be an agency placement or it can be a personal placement. And we call it in Virginia, we call it a personal placement. But in, in other states, um, what they call it direct – they call it independent, they call it private. So, um, you know, a, a lawyer can help get this terminology straight, um, especially since sometimes it's state-dependent. So that's all of those uh, terms would be used for if the adoptive parents find the expectant woman. And we have, again, Creating a Family has extensive resources on, suggested resources on how to, or resources suggesting how you might find a uh, uh, prospective uh, birth mother or an ex- uh, pr- uh, expectant woman who is considering. And you can find those by going to our website, creatingafamily.org, hovering over the word adoption, clicking on the word resources, and then going to domestic adoption slash finding a prospective birth mother. I should add we are in the midst of completely overhauling our website. So with any luck at all, by mid or in certainly end of January, uh, the uh, so if you're listening to this show uh, after January 2014, just search on our site for finding prospective birth mother, and, and it will pop up. All right, so it, so it, that's if they uh, if the uh, families find and then they uh, a, a expectant woman, and then they come to the adoption attorney. But Suzette's question is. What if they haven't found one? Um, then we've been the terms we've used there so far are um, um, a match or whatever. Steve, uh, we've heard so far that not every state uh, in the union uh, allows uh, attorneys to match. Assuming your state is one of those, is that a typical uh, uh, service that is provided by? Uh, adoption attorneys, and if so, how does the adoption attorney find expectant women? Well, it, it is one of uh, it is one of the services that our firm offers in Indiana. Attorneys in Indiana can uh, make a match, and 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 we do quite a bit of that. Probably, we, we're probably involved in a, in a hundred adoptions a year, and, and we probably are responsible for for finding about sixty percent of those uh, those expectant moms. So it's, uh, in our state, at least, it, it is possible um, to do that. So, um, and in other states where... Do, I, do you want me to speak up? This is Michael from a state where we cannot do that. I think Melbourne... Yeah, sure, Australia that would be, state. yes. Okay, so, and, uh, and you're from New York, uh, and New York cannot, okay. New York does not allow attorneys to match. They are probably one of the strictest states in the country, I would say, on that issue, even for no fee. Okay, we cannot do a match. We either, like uh, we had alluded to in the beginning of the conversation, we're allowed to represent one side or the other. Well, wait a minute. New so, York is even it's, it's even harsher than what Michael is suggesting. <laughs> okay. I, I can't. Steve Kirsch, an adoption attorney in Indiana, in Indiana, can't find a baby for a family in New York, even if the adoption is going to be finalized in Indiana. So you, you have to be very careful 
to understand what the laws of your state are before you, you seek out the services of an attorney to help you with that. That's correct. So in New York, okay, if you're working with somebody who's not in New York, like you're, you're trying to find a child anywhere in the country, nobody can be paid Okay, for the service of finding you a baby, like Steve, for example, or an agency in another state, unless they are an agency that's listed on the New York State OCFS website as an out-of-state approved agency. That's the only person you can pay if you're a New Yorker to find you a child. So what? going now back to what we do is we essentially work as a private attorney in New York. We would work with the adoptive parents, and I'm going to use wording them finding the child. Our parents network a lot. They use their birth parent letters with their friends and their OBGYNs. So that's networking would be one way. That is word of mouthing, as we're saying, but we're teaching them how to do that. So it could be that they come to us with that case, or it could be as that we're working with them, that that case is brought in that way. Uh, the other way would be through actual physical advertising. Okay, it could be on the internet advertising. Okay, um, and or it could be you see newspaper ads. You know, loving couple wishes to adopt child. That's what New York allows, and the only other way would be through using an adoption agency, again, that's approved by, that's either in New York licensed here or is approved out of state and is approved here. I think one of the things that's very confusing to people not involved with the law on a regular basis is that in the United States we have both federal law and we also have state law, and each and there are many things that are governed by state law, adoption being one of them. And each state has their own laws. And there can be, as you've just heard, rather stark contrast between what one state allows and another state allows. It's, uh, it's, it's one of those frustrating things when you do a national radio show, when you're talking about anything legal. Everything always begins with it depends, because it depends on what state you're talking about, which, however, highlights the need to make certain that you are uh, consulting a an attorney who knows the law in your state. Let me break for just a moment and remind you that you are listening to Creating a Family, and today we're talking about adopting an infant through an adoption attorney. Creating a Family has the largest adoption and infertility communities on the social networks, and we would love to have you join us. You can connect with us on Twitter at Creating a Family. On Facebook, there are three ways. One, my personal account, dawn.davenport1, or we would love to have you like our Facebook page or join the Creating a Family Facebook support group. So we have both a page and a group. You can find either of those by typing in the words Creating a Family in the Facebook search box. Both will pop up. You can like the page and join the group. It is a private group. However, uh, we uh, will allow you in. You just have to uh, request to join. And uh, that brings us, uh, before I uh, broke to uh, uh, introduce the show again, we were talking about which state law governs. And as both Steve and Michael mentioned, uh, it is possible to find a birth mother or an expectant mom in another state. So my question is, well, do you hire an attorney in the state where the woman, the expectant woman, is living, or do you hire an attorney in the state where you live? Colleen, I'm going to ask you that question. Well, Don, it really, whenever you get a placement situation, the first thing you do is a analysis um, or comparison of the laws of each state. Um, and one of the, the big things that we find sometimes um, is an issue with permissible living expenses, um, and so it's it's uh, that's that's an area that is particularly worrisome because um, the state laws are vastly different. In some states, um, any and all expenses can be paid, and in other states, there are strict limitations. So, if we have an identif- identified situation where we know where the placing parent is, and we know where the, um, the adoptive parents are. We look to the state laws of both states and we try to figure out under which state is this adoption going to be most advantageous to do the adoption under and is everything legal. 
um, in these states. Another area that we run into a lot of problems between state laws is an issue of facilitators. Um, facilitators are not licensed child placement agencies. They're typically not attorneys, um, but they are essentially adoption brokers. Um, some states have an absolute prohibition on any matching payments being paid to a facilitator, and Virginia is one of those states. So sometimes I will have clients come to me who have signed a contract with a facilitator and paid like twelve dollars to $15,000 to get a match, and they come to me and a match has been made, but we already have an illegal payment, and that becomes an issue. Um, there are other states like Virginia that likewise outlaw the payment of an, an amount to a, a facilitator or basically an adoption broker. You know, I Don, uh, Don let, would, could I add? This is Steve Kirsch. I, yeah, they, I'm hoping you're talking with, a little more about the, facilitators. With, yeah, go ahead. With respect to the question that that the specific question that you asked in terms of, do you have an attorney in the state where the baby's going to be born, or in your state, uh, you, a, a prospective adoptive parent has should pick an attorney to work with, and if if that attorney happens to be in their own state, then they should, and they find a baby in another state, then the attorney in their home state can help them find an attorney in the state where the baby's being born. If they if they want to start with an attorney in another state, like we have a lot of people who hire Kirsch and Kirscher from other states. If someone from from New York, for example, contacted me and said, Steve, I want you to help us find a baby, I, I would say to them that I can't help you. If if they come to me from Virginia, I would say, well, before I can agree to represent you, I need to call Colleen because I need to see what the requirements are in your state before I can agree to represent you. So I would pick an attorney in your state or the state where you want to, or an attorney in another state, but make sure that the attorney, once a baby is identified, or maybe even before the relationship has begun, that the attorney understands uh, what's going to be required to finalize the adoption. And John, just to follow up, since I, I'm sorry, because I, I kind of went off topic. Is uh, this is Colleen? Since I, I kind of veered from your question, um, I mean, Steve's absolutely right. Anybody that's looking to adopt, first of all, should have an attorney in their own home state, so they just understand what their own home state laws are, so they don't get in any trouble. And no matter what, even if they find a, a, a placing parent in another state and the adoption is done under the laws of that other state, they're still going to need their own home state attorney to make sure like the interstate compact in their own state is, is followed and adhered to. So typically, intended, uh, adoptive parents almost always have a, a consulting attorney in their own home state. And typically, a placing parent will have an attorney likewise in their own home states that will advise that placing mom as to what the laws are of her own state are, um, even, you know, even if you decide that the adoption is going to be only done under one of those two states. Does that make sense? It does, and that was a question I was going to ask. It seems like why would, if you're looking to, to adopt through an adoption attorney, wouldn't the first place you're going to eventually finalize in your home state? Well, maybe not. You may not finalize in your home state. Right. But no, you that's will. Correct. Yeah, but you will be having to make certain that the laws of your state are complied with because if you find a child out of state, you still got to get the child through the interstate compact uh, back into your state. So wouldn't uh, – I'm, I'm trying to make sense of this, but uh, and I think this is what you say, Colleen. You're going to have to have an attorney in your state anyway, so would that not be the place to start, uh, to hire an attorney in your own state and get their advice on who to hire uh, outside or wherever you find the child, Colleen. Since you were the one who just uh, uh, said that, let me make sure I was understanding you correctly. So, is that did I understand you correctly, Colleen? That that's absolutely clear, Don. And I will tell clients when they come see me, I say, look, it. I may have a very minimal involvement in this adoption because if you find a child in Kansas, Kansas is going to um, be more favorable in terms of your consent revocation periods. Adoption is going to happen faster. I'm going to refer you to folks in Kansas. However. I still need to be here and make sure that Virginia Interstate Office, um, that everything's met, all the requirements are met, and that, and that there are no hiccups on the Virginia end. So exactly, you, you still need to almost always have an attorney in your home state to make sure that nothing's going to get messed up. And Jim, we've talked about um, the birth mother 
needing an attorney. And I would assume that uh, we need to think, our birth parents, I should say, uh, is it always required that there be a separate attorney for a uh, birth mother, or in this case probably an expectant uh, mom uh, before she becomes a birth mother, um, or can the same attorney, if if you were in the same state, represent both? Okay. Um, an attorney cannot represent two. You can't serve two different masters, if you will. Um, that's that's true generally in, a, in the adoption world, but that's true in in just the ethics of professional conduct. Um, you have to have one person and the lines of that communication and representation have to be clear. Some states do not require a birth mother to have representation. South Carolina, for instance, allows the birth mother when she's signing the relinquishment to have either an attorney who does not represent the the adopting parents or someone we call a certified adoption investigator, which would be a, a, a social worker with it with heightened experience that's adoption-related. But the point is this. Um, a birth parent needs to be able to have the opportunity for that candid conversation with someone who only has uh, her or the birth father's, um, his best interest at heart. And I'll carry that a little further from just having that, that, that attorney representation. I think and this harkens back to your earlier question about when you choose an attorney, I think we all will recognize that adoption is a hybrid of both law and social science. And adoption agencies um, will recognize that that adoption is a hybrid of social science and law. And really the, the best situations are when we recognize the interdependence of both and so one of the questions that I always um, think is important is even if I'm representing the adopting parents, um, some adopting parents will say, tell me what services that you make sure are available for those birth parents. Um, what kind of counseling, private third-party counseling. And so, for instance, we have three social workers in our office because, frankly, some lawyers, um, myself included, um, aren't trained to do some things that social workers can do well. And I know social workers aren't trained to do something lawyers can't do well. And so um, hopefully um, we have mutual respect for each discipline and bringing those two hybrid, uh, adoption being a hybrid of those two disciplines, that's when you really have a successful adoption. This was the perfect segue into a question we have from Beth. She says, we are planning to adopt this year and the timing of this show is great for us because we are looking at both adoption agencies and attorneys. One of the things we want to make sure that our birth mother gets one of the, well, we want to make sure that our birth mother gets support before and after the adoption. What type of resources are typically provided to the expectant woman with adoption with she said adoption lawyers? Steve, let me ask you uh, Jim has is uh has talked about that as a question to ask. Uh what type? What is typical, or, or is there a typical that you can say um, that, uh, uh, from an adoption attorney standpoint, because we expect that of adoption agencies, uh, but in my experience, it's not always provided by adoption attorneys. Well, your your experience is correct on, and and uh, Beth asked a good question. Um, some people hear what many of on this panel have said and and I think Jim used the words you can only serve one master that the adoptive parent or an attorney representing the adoptive parents is only looking after their interests and 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 a lot of adoptive parents are concerned well if if the attorney and, and frankly in our office we we generally represent the adoptive parents and 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 generally the birth mother does not have her own attorney because that's not common in Indiana so the question naturally comes up well if if Steve if you're representing um, the adoptive parents, who's looking after the birth mom? And, and what I would say to you is it's in the interest of the adoptive parents for the birth mother to be taken care of. And, and in, in our practice, we will provide, we won't do the counseling. We don't have counselors on staff, but we have a network of counselors around the state uh, because we think counseling is really important. We will help her find a doctor if she's not already seeing a doctor. Uh, we can help her with Medicaid if she doesn't have that service. So although we don't do those things in-house, 
we can refer a birth mom to those services and, and get her what she needs, uh, even though we're representing the, the adoptive parents, because it's in the adoptive parents' interests that we do so. Dawn, okay. Dawn this is Michael. Was Beth's question what support would be afterwards, if I'm not mistaken? Both. She said before and after. Yeah. Okay, the, then, then the idea of what Steve is alluding to also is that our support as private attorneys, uh, again, I think it's often not looked at, and people say that we don't do these things, but we keep our files open almost forever. We have relationships that continue with the birth parents and the adoptive parents through our office. Uh, counseling is available uh, from the standpoint would be at any time. Okay, and we do find a lot of our birth mothers that may come back a few months after they've given birth, and they have said, you know, at that time I don't, I'm okay, and then they come back a few months later and said, you know, I'm really having trouble sleeping and stuff. So, the counseling support should be again, like Steve said, it helps the adoption, it helps Absolutely. the adoptive parents' adoption that she gets her counseling whenever we can get it to her. Uh, yeah. But the question of the Beth was talking about support. I'm not is she. Is, was the question only about counseling? Because, uh, again, there, there we go into She's, Hers was resources, yeah. so let's expand it. Uh, so if, go ahead. if it talks about living expenses, again, that gets very specific state law-wise. And, you know, she, you know, Beth should be checking wherever her adoption is taking place and in her own state what is allowed after birth. Because, you know, there are some states that say nothing after birth. Some states say one month. Some say two months. Some say reasonable. So that's the idea of, you know, uh, again, being careful with the adoption attorney that you're going to pick. Yeah, because that's, it, it, as, as Colleen had mentioned or somebody mentioned, uh, that it, it varies widely, living expenses does. Right. Let me take know, a moment to remind everyone that creating a family is a nonprofit, and one of the ways we pay our bills is through our wonderful sponsors who believe in our mission of bringing you unbiased, accurate, information and supporting you on whatever your path is to achieving parenthood. One way you can help us is by supporting those who support us. You've heard about a few of our goal sponsors, but we also have other sponsors as well. So if you are looking for an adoption agency or an adoption attorney or an adoption therapist or infertility clinic or an infertility uh, law, um, uh, reproductive law attorney or a therapist, firm bank or whatever, please make your first stop to creating a family directories on our service provider page of our site. You can search by location, services provided, number of years in operation, just a whole host of factors that we think are important when choosing. And when you use these directories, you support those who support us, and we thank you. All right, we've gotten um, one of the uh, things that we've talked about as well, uh, which is uh, we've talked about uh, birth uh, mother uh, education or, or counseling and support. One of the things that also sometimes differs, in my opinion, between agencies and attorneys is the requirement of, of adoption education. Jim, you and I have talked about this uh, uh, personally at times when we've, uh, when you and I have talked um, as the director of an adoption education nonprofit. Obviously, I believe that all parents uh, are, every child deserves to have a well-prepared parent, and I think adoptive parenting does differ in some ways from genetic parenting, and and uh, and some preparation uh, ahead of time, I think, is better for kids. So, having said that, what uh, Jim, do you? What is your experience as to uh, the variety of, of? Is that a question that 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 parents should ask uh, of when they are choosing? Or is it is it so seldom provided that it, it would be not even a worthwhile question to ask? And I'm speaking of direct uh, of uh, adoption education. Well, adoption education for those of us who've been doing adoption a long time, it's hard to describe. It's sort of like pornography in the Supreme Court. You can't define it, but you know it when you see it. Mm -hmm. um, when when people come to the an adoption attorney, you can tell if they're ready. And you can tell that if those, you know, who've really taken some time as a couple to work through their issues, to to find out um, what questions they have, and those that, you know, have have uh, just almost whimsically decided to pursue adoption. Unfortunately, some state laws require adoption education. Some some don't. Yeah, and the Hague Convention on Intercountry Adoption, you know, um, 
The Hague requires, what is it, Michael, 10 hours ten, of adoption ten, education? 10 hours ten, of adoption yeah. education, yes. And, and that can be... The subject matter, yeah. And that's terrific, because I think adoption education, if you're adopting trans, transracially or if you're adopting internationally, there's not only is, it, is parenting a, a child that's, that was adopted different than a birth child, but different kinds of adoption as well. So I... I you know, applaud people to, to not just go out and get their home study, um, if you will, their pre-placement report, but to spend some time to do some reading. Don't have one of the of the couples to be carrying all the water on the adoption mm-hmm. edu- education. That's just way too much pressure for one person. And it's the way you're creating your family, so it really makes sense to create that family together. So I, I think this kind of program, um, doing some things online are good, and then also, you know, going to some seminars where you're in the room with some similarly situated people can be really affirming to people who are beginning their um, adoption journey. Don, this is Steve Kirsch. I, I absolutely positively agree with what, what, what Jim is saying. We, we have found... Uh, Families who are, are absolutely not not prepared to adopt. What I would suggest is when a family is looking for an agency to do their home study, because I, I, probably every state requires that a family have a home study. There are some agencies as part of that home study process that have a, a, a wonderful educational component. So rather than just calling around finding an agency that will do the home study for the cheapest amount, find out which agencies provide an educational component that will help the family not only be successful in getting a baby to adopt, finding a baby to adopt, but being parents to the baby that they ultimately do adopt. Yeah, I would support that. And, and I Dawn, should also and Dawn, mention the plug. Uh, Go ahead. Uh, this is Michael. I'm just going along with what Jim had said about the Hagen International adoptions. You know, we just from our own procedural standpoint found that so beneficial that we require our domestic clients to also get training whether or not they're home study person is is going to require that or not, okay? And part of that is a lot just to join a local adoptive parents group if they have one, okay, um, as not just support but as education, like uh, Jim had alluded to, going to seminars, and, which are typically at adoptive parent groups. Absolutely, and, and if you're lucky enough to live near New York City, there's great ones, there's great ones. But what we're finding is that it's harder and harder now I think the internet, in some ways, has taken over some of that. Mm. I mean, I, and it's both good and bad. I mean, uh, we run a very large uh, support group, and I think it's a. I think online is wonderful and can provide things. But if you have the option of in person, you know, it's that is just really powerful, and uh, not everybody uh, uh, has that option. Uh, let me, for those for our listeners, let me also mention that uh, obviously creating a family has many resources available for adoption education. We actually have an entire adoption education section that is uh, uh, offered without charge to the clients uh, of our sponsors, but it's offered not for a large charge. It's reasonably priced for anyone. Plus, we have weekly shows. We have tons of resources um, that are most all of our resources are offered without charge. The only thing is the adoption ed. If it is required that you have a certificate of completion, uh, that's why that is in a separate section so that we can set up quizzes and stuff like that. So you will have um, at creatingafamily.org lots and lots of resources in addition to any in-person resources because I'm a big believer in using both. We have, unfortunately, Louisa just sent in a question, and I, I it's a good one. Um, and we're going to try to keep it a little short, but I am going to uh, uh, go ahead and take the time, even though we, uh, Louisa, next time, send it ahead of time. But anyway, this it's a good question. She says, uh, I'll shorten it, she's uh, uh, looking at both, uh, she and her husband are looking at both an at- uh, adoption agencies and adoption attorneys. She wanted to hear each of you list a few advantages of using an adoption lawyer. So let me go around the circle, and Colleen, you get to be last this time since you were first last time. Michael, since you were uh, – actually, Steve, I think you were last last time. So, Steve, I'll go with you first. Can you list one or two advantages of going with an adoption? Absolutely, and, that, and that's a great question. The um, uh, Here's what I, w- what I say to people. In, in every bad adoption story you've ever heard, every adoption that, that was cre- resulted in a, a problem – 
was the result of a mistake of law rather than a mistake of social work. And I would submit to anyone thinking about adopting that a, an experienced adoption attorney has a better opportunity to protect them than a well-intentioned social worker. Okay, so better opportunity for protection. Okay. Uh, any others before I move on? I'll tell you what, I'm going to move on. We'll come back, and so you'll give you a time to think. Michael. Um, I would say that Jim had mentioned it before that I represent this couple or this single person trying to adopt if I'm representing the adoptive parent, and that's my only goal, okay, that to represent them best and advocate for them. And I think the other difference that I find, at least with my clients, because some work with both, I think the private attorney tends to give the person more flexibility in what they want to do and can pick and choose uh, different things like different home study people, different attorneys in different states, because the agencies tend to have their own way of doing something. Um, so I think the private attorneys have a more of a flexibility, and where the adoptive parents have can choose better. Okay, Jim. Uh, the word I would use is accountability. Um, if a a lawyer is licensed to practice law. If he or she does not fulfill that obligation, that license can be taken. That's accountability. Um, I think that there is some accountability in the licensure issues with agencies. There is none with facilitators who are unlicensed, unregulated, and therefore unaccountable. But I think accountability is is maybe the hallmark for choosing an adoption attorney. Okay. And, Colleen, you get the last word. And I had more time to think. That was great. Um, I think a, a big one is that you can avoid hefty adoption agency costs, um, particularly where it is a lawyer that can match. Um, but like in Virginia, we can't charge a match fee. We can only charge for the legal services. So um, I, I call the agency adoption the all-inclusive resort um, and the, the kind of the attorney adoption where the attorney's uh, helping with with the match process, I call that the a la carte. It's one of the few uh, restaurants you can go to where the a la carte actually is less expensive than the all-inclusive um, deal. So um, I was thinking that but, usually a la carte is when I yeah when I when right, I order a la carte usually, usually more expensive yeah right. But in the adoption world, where the attorney quarterbacks the adoption in in a in a um, private placement or direct placement, typically the costs are much much less than going to the all-inclusive um, agency. So um, that is an enormous advantage for those states and those lawyers um, that are permitted to do matching without charging a, a hefty fee for it. Um, and then just to kind of drive home what Steve said about the better opportunity for protection, um, not only do we see folks make illegal payments sometimes before they come to see a lawyer, but they make Payments that were unnecessary, and just a quick illustration, a client that signed up with an agency in California and the, the agency contract had an exclusivity clause, meaning no matter where and how they found the child, they had to pay that agency $12,000. Well, through networking and friends, they found a child in Arizona. They did an Arizona to Virginia placement. California agency not involved at all, but they still had to pay the $12,000. If they'd come to see a lawyer, the lawyer would have said, don't sign that contract, you know, that, that's just that's possibly a big waste of your money. Gotcha. Okay. So now we have uh, uh, come to the end of our time. Let me take one quick moment to thank a few more of our gold sponsors and to remind you that it is through their generous support that we can bring you this show and all the resources provided by Creating a Family. We have Children's Connection. They are an adoption agency with offices throughout Texas providing domestic infant adoption, embryo donation adoption, uh, home studies and post-adoption support to families throughout the United States, and nightlight Christian adoption with offices in California, Colorado, South Carolina, and adoption programs throughout the world, as well as a domestic infant program and their embryo donation adoption program known as the Snowflake Program. We have in reached the end of our time. I want to thank so much all of you for being our guest today, Steve Kirsch, Colleen Quinn, Jim Thompson, and Michael Goldstein. Uh, let me take a second. I know that people will want to be contacting you. So starting with you, Michael, can you give your website, 
URL? Yes, it, uh, it's Michael Goldstein, and the website is adoptgold.com. Okay, Jim, can you give yours? Yes, adoptionsc.com. Okay, and Steve? Uh, ours is indianaadoption.com. There's no dot between Indiana and adoption. indianaadoption.com. And Colleen? It's virginia-adoption-attorney.com. And thank you, all of our listeners, for joining us today, and I look forward to talking with you again. Actually, I won't be talking with you again next week. Next week we will be taking off. We will be uh, uh, airing a classic program from the uh, not-too-distant past, uh, and uh, so make sure you tune in for that as well. Thank you. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Don. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. The Starlight Lounge presents an evening with the Progressive Box. The moon. Yeah. That's Hugo tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.